Welcome to Bridging the Potential, Intergenerational Conversations that Change the World. This is Samuel Salvador Osborne Huerta, founding member of Living the Potential Network's Youth Advisory Council, with a question for you. What happens when you bridge the experience, education, and expertise of an elder with the curiosity, energy, and innate wisdom of a youth? It's simple. Everyone grows and the world changes for the better. One conversation, one connection, one collaboration at a time. Today's podcast is no different. Renee Beth connected me with Marcus Bellringer Bell, who is, well, let's be honest, what isn't he? He's a world-class music producer and the CEO of Bellringer Productions, LLC. He plays numerous instruments. He's a singer, an activist, an entrepreneur, a father, the list goes on. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation about identity in music and how the media we consume and our environment plays a huge role when it comes to how we think. He's got an excellent story about it you'll get to hear. My favorite part of this podcast is near the end when Marcus shares a story about a song of his that became a hit just later than he expected it to. There's some really beautiful wisdom attached to the story, and I can't wait for you to hear it. This is Renee Beth Poindexter, founder of Living the Potential Network and your host for today. I wrote the book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World. And I set out ways to find creative spaces where people could hear what youth have to say. And this is what this podcast is all about. I love these conversations where after listening to a youth's dreams and concerns, we connect them with a mentor or an elder who has experience and wisdom to share and who is open to learning and receiving from innovative spirit of the youth. It's reciprocal learning at its best. I always leave these conversations inspired and I think you will too. Today, I have two special guests. I have Marcus Bellringer Bell and Samuel Osborne Huerta. Both of these people are passionate about the arts and of course, Marcus Bellringer Bell, if you're not familiar with him, let me just tell you that he's an American music producer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, singer, social media influencer, activist, and entrepreneur extraordinaire. He is the CEO of Bellringer Productions uh, and is a music sync licensing and production company that operates a catalog of over 10,000 songs, that's 10,000 songs, and over 300 recording artists. He's also an author. He's the author of the book, The Bellringer Branding Bible. The Five Musicians Branding Principles for Singers, Rappers, DJs, Music Producers, Composers, Writers, and Recording Artists. He is an amazing leader, as I would call, or he also has used the word creative technologist and has sustained a thriving entertainment business for the past two decades. With his love for the arts, he actually was able to start his own record label at age 12. So you can imagine his interest and draw to youth that are listening to this podcast today. One more thing, he has been using his experience as an entrepreneur to actually make a difference in people's lives with his Wealth Impact Bootcamp. And so without further ado, let's start with Marcus Bell Ringer. Bell, Marcus, welcome today. We're so grateful to have you with us. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Renee, for having me on your podcast. I've been uh, looking forward to us being able to connect and have a fantastic conversation. And uh, thanks for introducing me to Samuel here. 
Well, it's fantastic. Well, to get started, um, we'd love to hear your story because, you know, an activist as a child and then starting your own record label and then bringing your, the, the way in which your life has worked out as a music artist, recording artist, a music, you know, as, as well as an entrepreneur and a writer, how did that start? Is there some, you know, journey that you can share with us that would inspire all, all, all of our intergenerational learners, listeners yeah. today? Yeah, sure. So it started when I was two years old. And when I was two, I had this ability to um, just be and play with things for long periods of time. So, so my parents could give me some rocks and I could just be for hours playing with rocks or pennies. And I could just play with, with pennies and find, you know, creative things to do with that. Um, and so because I had this ability to focus, I, from what I understand, my dad uh, saw that and said, hey, maybe we should try him on piano. And so they got my grandmother's piano um, brought into the house and, and that's when it all started. And so I remember them putting uh, phone books Right back then, there were phone books, <laughs> phone books on on the the piano stool, so that I could reach the keys. And um, so I, I basically was a child prodigy. And I and so the the first time that I got hired in the entertainment industry was actually when I was six years old. And I remember getting my first check, and it was for six hundred dollars. And taking that $600 check and they, um, they took me to the bank. And that's when I, that's when, when my entrepreneurial journey actually started because I had to learn the concept of, okay, well, wait a minute. So I have, I got $600 for doing this thing and I'm giving it to you to do what now? <laughs> How does that work? Right. Um, and so yeah, and so I come from a, a family of people that are entrepreneurial. And so I was, you know, always kind of in, a, in an environment where, you know, my father was constantly creating um, businesses. He was a, a truck driver. And so he had, he had a trucking company with a few different trucks. Then he was in a restaurant business. Uh, he and my mother had this restaurant at one point. And so I used to man the cash registers, you know, at the restaurant as a kid. And I'll just share this one story. I, I, I remember that uh, one of the people that came in to like buy some food, it, it was called Cooking from Scratch. That was the name of the restaurant. And I was sitting behind the cash register and they had given me ten dollars i think it was something like that and claimed that i hadn't given them the proper amount of money back right <laughs> and so so it became this whole thing because they knew that because of the way i'm able to focus on things there wasn't going to be an error <laughs> with the money. And so, so anyway, uh, so, so I've been, I'm 46 years old now. So
So I've been 44 years in the entertainment business, 44 years in music. And so from two to six, um, that was the moment where I was really uh, doing a lot of learning by imitation. And so I would study all different kinds of artists um, and and try and imitate them, right? And so, and then I started uh, getting into songwriting uh, when I was around eight years old, the NAACP asked me to write a song. And so I wrote this song called uh, Free At Last. It was for like a Martin Luther King holiday type of thing. And so that was my first song. And then when I was nine, someone hired me to produce the soundtrack for Whitney Houston song, right? Because they couldn't find the um, the karaoke, and they paid me like 125 bucks to do a imitation track, right? A karaoke track, and that's when I discovered, wow, I could actually earn income, and I didn't know I was a producer then. But that's what that was. I was as a as a as a music producer, and so um, at the same time, I was doing musical theater. So I was uh, I had a an agent. So I was in some movies and some television shows, and and as well as doing musical theater. And so what ended up happening? So there was like this acting musical theater thing happening at the same time the music thing was happening and as i got exposed to other instruments other than piano i started picking up those instruments so i i ended up learning how to play uh like 12 different instruments so saxophone bass drums guitar tuba like 12 different ones <laughs> and so so i realized i had this capacity to acquire these skills very quickly. And uh, and then the Virginia Opera put me on tour. And so that was my first time going on tour and, and I got approval from the school board to leave school and, and all of this. And when that happened, I was in front of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, of kids. Uh, from elementary school to junior high school to high school. So they would have assemblies and bring thousands of kids. And so at that time I said, well, wait a minute, I'm writing songs. I should start a record label. And that's how I, I so that's, that's, how that, that's how that began. When you were on the tour for the Virginia Opera, you were what, 12 years old? Yeah, I don't remember exactly what, what my age was at that moment, but that's what inspired the record label. I see. Wow. That is so exciting. So in the meantime, um, when you were describing about being in all these shows and getting uh, connected to all these people, I was imagining you were living in Los Angeles, but you were living in Virginia? I was living in Virginia. And your, and dad, your dad was a truck driver and your mom is a professional tennis player. Is that right? So yeah, so my mother was a tennis prodigy. And so she played in the US Open 
Um, and she toured the country with Arthur Ashe, uh, wow. you know, back in the 60s. And she was the first African-American woman in a bunch of whites only tennis tournaments. And so she was a civil rights activist. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, and, and Virginia. So I think having her as a parent, you know, kind of shape things differently because she achieved being like the number one African-American tennis player in the country in a two year period in high school. Wow. Right? So, so when, when you're able to accomplish something at a young age, what ends up happening is that all of a sudden it, that possibility opens up. So like I have a six-year-old daughter and I don't interact with her like she's six years old. I know that she can, that all kinds of things are possible with her. Oh, yeah. So she knows herself to be, she's already, she recorded her first song when she was two years old. <laughs> she wrote a song around the time she first started being able to form language that another recording artist recorded, right? And so she knows herself to be a, a, a writer. She knows herself to be a singer. Uh, you know, she knows herself to, to be able to play a little bit of instruments. So when you have um, when you have a situation where there's not a limitation on like what's possible for you, then all of a sudden you know, there's like this wide open space that you can create what your life is going to be like. And so I recognize that because I started so young that, of course, that's possible. It's possible for it doesn't matter how old you are. You can contribute into the world no matter what your age is. And so no matter how young you are or how old you are. So I know this is about youth, but there are some people that are seniors that have self-imposed limitations on what's possible yeah that my daughter doesn't have yeah exactly at six right well, yeah well the apple like, doesn't fall far from the tree marcus as you know but you know can i go back to one thing about your mom being a um you know activist that also is an impact for you in terms of your leadership, because there's a lot of people that are prodigies and so forth. I mean, I don't know that many, but let's just say they don't all have the leadership capacity that you're bringing to your life. What did you, how did your mom as a social activist impact how you could lead for the social causes that you believe in? She did it by example. Uh, she was a tremendous leader and um, she used to write speeches uh, for politicians and, you know, presidents of, of colleges. Uh, she just had a gift of writing and, and communication. And so I would be, as a kid, um, because, you know, my, my parents divorced. And so it was, and for about 10 years, uh, my father wasn't in my life. But I didn't know that until I was older, um, because what she did was she found mentors for me. And so she would read about someone in a newspaper or in a magazine or they or saw them on television and reach out to them and say, hey, can you mentor my son? 
And so I was surrounded by these powerful African-American men who were in, you know, one was the president of the Family Channel. The other one was like uh, executive at Eminem Mars. Like, you know, another one owns the franchise of McDonald's. And, and so these, these uh, men would take me to lunch and have conversations with me. I guess kind of like we're having, we're about to have a conversation, right? And so, um, and that heavily uh, impacted my view of what's possible. And, but when I, I just remember being a kid and she would take me to board meetings with her. She would take me along with her to meetings and I'd sit over in a corner and I'd be in an, an environment where I saw leadership. And because she was connected to politicians and, and, and at the time uh, she was at uh, Norfolk State University in Virginia, um, she would bring in these amazing speakers to speak at the college. So there was a period where she was bringing in recording artists, she was bringing, so I've met all these, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson and Bobby Brown at the time and like all these different you know, celebrities, I would meet them because she was the one that was bringing them in, in, into uh, Virginia at the time. And so I got a lot of exposure, just that was, it was just like the environment said, this is what leadership is. Like, so I could, I could see it. And then, um, you know, having a company, I don't know what I was doing, right? So 12 years old, I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, at 19, I was trying to figure it out because I started it at 12, but I was in college and trying to figure it out. So I would go to my teachers and say, okay, so this thing about accounting, like, how does that work when you have CDs and tapes and all in different stores? And right. And they're like, who is this kid? <laughs> who are you? I don't know the music industry. Right. And so I will always uh, be asking questions. You know, um, because I had a business, I was trying to figure it out. And my mentors weren't in the music industry. Um, you know, they didn't have enough uh, specialized knowledge on the music industry. They had business knowledge, right? But this is another thing that I learned is that you get a mentor for a specific thing, right? You look for mentors that are expert have specialized knowledge at the thing that it is that you want to do. And then that makes a, a huge difference uh, along the pathway. And so, uh, so yeah, so that, that in terms of the activism part, um, I was thrown into activism without really uh, uh, knowing that that's what that was. And so we were involved in a, a, a lawsuit with the city of Norfolk um, when I was a kid. And so they had the school segregated. And so we were involved in a lawsuit to desegregate the schools. So the first words that I remember were words like discrimination, segregation, and integration. Right. So when I think about, oh, what were the first words that I like in my mind, I remember being taught what that was and what we were doing and the importance of it. So we were getting 
you know, all kinds of threats. And, uh, you know, it, it, when you're taking that type of action, um, there's a world that comes with that, that type of action. And so, um, so I remember being in a courtroom and the judges came in and I, I thought it was a choir coming to sing. Right. I'm like, when are they going to start singing? <laughs> so, so yeah, so that, so my, uh, I guess kind of like my music career started early, my look into things like systemic racism started early. Yeah. So there's this connection between music and the arts as, as a vehicle for social change. It's like, it's what a wonderful life journey you had. And I'm, I'm sure, Samuel, you're over there going, okay, I've got a few questions. But before we go to that, Samuel, I would like you to tell people a little bit about you. You're 19 years old. You live in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. Um, we met because of the youth performance company that you actually studied with for quite a few years. And now you've been accepted into a special program, um, which you tell us a little bit about that and what you're a writer, you've got a special interest in writing. So give us a little bit about you and then uh, I know you wanna pose a question, but before we get there, let the audience hear a little bit about who you are at 19 years old, Samuel Osborne Huerta speaking with Marcus. Bell ringer bell, but go ahead. Tell us your story a little bit. For sure. Um, I mean, I, I definitely, my mom was a huge like influence on, on me. Um, and she was, she, I mean, she was the only parent that I had. And so like, I, I looked up to her for everything. And she, um, when, when I was born, she was 26. And then she got her master's degree while she was this single mom, you know, with 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 this this infant, she she just like was in Santa Fe. She was away from her family, so she didn't really know um, what to do. And, and and she just was like, she she just took care of it. She just went. She she like she talked to my grandparents and who who took care of me for a little bit. And she got her master's degree, which I admire her for, because you know I've I've known plenty of people who they they have a kid and they're like, well, this is I I can't you know I can't pursue what I want to do anymore. And she. She, you know, she still wanted. She still did that, and I was. I mean, I'm, I'm proud to to be her son. Um, and because she's a librarian, I got really interested in, in writing and storytelling from a young age. She would read me. Um, she would read me like I, I I don't remember any specific books, but I just remember she would do voices, you know, for the characters when she read them to me. Um, and sometimes she would do accents, you know. And I and I got really like I was like that's so fun. I want to be able to because I just all I knew was that I felt really good when she was reading these stories to me and even if there were sad parts i was like i'm i'm this is important you know this is important and i want to i want to connect to it and um so as i got older i got more into writing and she um she had a i mean she she talks she talks to me very similarly to the way that you talk to your daughter she didn't talk to me like i was a kid so if i showed her a piece of writing you know she definitely wouldn't sugarcoat it she'd be like all right so here's what here's what works and here's what doesn't which at first was hard to hear, uh, but because when I was like six or seven, but um, later I was I was so grateful for that because I got into high school and I could I found that I could just like punch out well written six page papers, you know, at the drop of a hat because <laughs> because I knew the process. Um, and it wasn't until actually sixth grade that I that I even started to think about acting. Um, I didn't think because I'd always like. You know, in, in film and television, ironically, I'd see there are all these jokes about like, oh, you can't be an actor. You know, that's 
know, that's not a that's not a real job. You won't get money or whatever. And so it was like, oh man, I guess. And so I, for for a while, I told myself I wanted to be a paleontologist and study dinosaurs. Uh, and uh, then I realized that that would be a lot more uh, book work and you know, dusting off bones in a in a lab by myself for for a long time. And I was like, no, I want to do something fun. Uh, and around that time, I saw the Lord of the Rings movies. And I really wanted that to be real. I really wanted to be able to go live in Middle Earth and, and do all that sort of stuff. And so I told myself the next best thing would be to be in movies like that. Um, and it, it was because, like, it ga- I mean, at first it was because it gave me this. If it was because these stories gave me a form of escape uh, from, you know, parts of my life that were that were more difficult. Um, and, and that's what it started as, uh, and and I, I, now I'm. I, I think that escapism is is less of the goal that I would like to. I, I would. I, that's not what I want. I don't want to give people an escape. I want to give people a story by which they can understand life better, you know. Um, and so when I was in high school, I and I started doing uh, theater, and like the first the first real like school performance I was in was The Tempest, and so it was my first like real role was was like a Shakespearean role and I was like I don't understand any of this um and um for a while I sort of was like I don't know if I want to be an actor I don't know because this is I, I was in the Tempest too by the way you were <laughs> that's awesome who did you play I don't remember that's fair. That's all right. <laughs> a long time ago <laughs> like no, a whole other fair. life <laughs> yeah um I I mean and that was that's that was my first role um Really, and it was just in school, and then, you know, in schools, I found that the the environment was so like it was so hierarchical. It was it, I did not enjoy it. You know, the, the the directors and the students would be like, "You're at this level. You can do this. You're capable of these things." Um, and I hated that. I always knew it was wrong, but I didn't know how to articulate it because that was the entire environment that I was in. And then I found YPC and Jackie Knight and Sherilyn Howes and everyone involved in that, and they we're like, that's that's stupid. You can do you can do literally anything, and we're gonna show you how. Um, and that was when I started. Like the first show that I was in with them was called Mean, uh, and it was about, it was about bullying, and it was something that had been devised, you know, by youth performance company. Um, and I just I, I found that the, it was completely different. It was about the story. It wasn't there was there was so much less ego to it. You know, it was like, oh, this is my you know, like in high school they did like Grease or something, and there'd be like the the seniors who were, who who didn't get the role they would want, and they'd be like, that was my role. I don't. I'm like, <laughs> uh, but uh, at Youth Performance Company, it was it was completely different. It was about working together and and creating something that the audience could connect to, um, and that was what I had wanted all along. And so when I started, when I, when I got older, because I, I started with YPC when I was, I was 16. Yeah, 16. Um, and, you know, by the time I was 19, I'd been in, I'd been in I think, seven main stage shows of theirs and uh, done, performed at, like, two, like, there were these, like, ballroom, like, charity events that we did. Or not charity. They were fundraising, fundraising events. Uh, then YPC's done some charity as well. Um, but by the time I was, you know, sort of reaching the end of my time in high school, I, I was like, well, now I know that I can really do something. So that, that was the reason why I, I, even though the Guthrie program was this sort of incredibly daunting thing to me, I knew what the Guthrie was. I'd seen shows there all my life, and I was like, I could, that's, I mean, 
that's that's where people go when when they're when they've made it <laughs> is what I is what I told myself and I just was like you know what we're gonna give it a shot and I think the only reason that I had that courage is because of youth performance company and because they had taught me again because there were people that I connected with who said let me show you how this works um, you know and it's about mentors and I really think that that mentors are I mean what what a gift to have someone just impart their knowledge to you it's I'm really grateful to them um, because great. they're the reason I felt like I could try uh, to do it, and they're the reason that I got in. So, I um, and that's where I am now. You know, my, <laughs> I, I haven't uh, lived as much, so I'm, I'm hoping to to add more to the things that I do. Uh, you know, as I get older. Could I add a little something there, Samuel? Because I know that you also have an entrepreneurial bent, and maybe you could briefly talk about. Um, the podcast that you're creating with a friend and also yeah. the, the writing that you're doing because these are two areas that I think when you go into your questions with uh, Marcus um, you know he can leverage what he has insight for you on those projects do you want to share anything about that yeah yeah absolutely I do um the uh the, there's this podcast my best friend Chase and I started to we wanted we knew we wanted to write a podcast but we also knew we didn't want it to be like a like a talk show we wanted it to be story driven um, and we both really liked uh, this genre called cosmic horror, which was pioneered by H.P. Lovecraft. And you know, there's a whole lot of having to separate the art from the artist when it comes to him. <laughs> but um, but he has some really interesting short stories, and uh, we had just seen uh, an adaptation uh, of it. In it came out in 2020 called Color Out of Space, um, based on a short story of, a, of the same name. Uh, and it just it it was fun to watch, but it wasn't scary you know it didn't it didn't really it, it was hard to it didn't feel it didn't it didn't feel like it was what that story was supposed to be and so we started looking at other uh cosmic horror movies and the only one that we found that was really good was annihilation <laughs> um which which came out in i think 2018 but we decided we we asked what's the common thread between the, all of these cosmic horror movies that should be good they have a really good premise but they just fall short and we found that the um, we found that the reason was because they showed they tried to show like these things that are supposed to be beyond human comprehension, and so we thought an audio-based format would lend itself to the audience's imagination, and what happens in their head would be scarier than anything we could show on a screen. So we uh, we started really getting serious about it this this past December. Um, so right now we're in the process of uh, we we have two seasons sort of planned out right now. Um, I'm taking creative lead on the first one. Chase is taking creative lead on the second one, um, and I'm a part of these Facebook groups. And, and there have been people who are interested in it who have offered their you know advice when it comes to sound design and sound editing. And um, we're it's it's really still taking shape, but it we have once we finish the writing, we have a path forward when it comes to production, which is something that I have not always had when I when I write something you know like just I cannot tell you how many notebooks I have of ideas that just never saw the light of day um, and so you know hopefully that's something that we can really start producing this summer fantastic well I think you probably Marcus probably has enough understanding is there anything else you want to share before you go into your questions for this amazing mentor that's there with you I think I'm okay. <laughs> okay, all right. What's the question that you'd like to start the conversation with? Yeah, um, okay. the, the, I can't imagine 
how what it would have been like to have you know the first words that you understand be be discrimination um and you know as i as i mentioned earlier but you know before we started uh rolling you know i i didn't start to come to terms with my racial identity um until middle school so how has have how has that being very present in your life how has that impacted the kind of music that you've made mm. Uh, in terms of music, I look at music in a particular way. So when I was at Berkeley, there was someone that I studied under. Um, his name was Dean Earl. Now, Dean used to play for Billie Holiday and a bunch of like some of the, the big jazz greats. And... He's a, he's a very short guy, and, and we would sit at the piano, and the majority of those conversations with Dean in those lessons, we did some playing, but mostly a lot of talking. And one of the things that Dean gifted me with was connecting different musical genres. So, so, Gene would, so, so Dean would play this classical piece. And he says, notice when I play this, how this is similar to some other things, right? Same chords as this jazz piece. Same chords as this popular song. Same as this theater song, right? And so, so what, what he showed me, how everything was connected. And so I could see through the lens of connection. I could see through the lens of, oh, actually there's this thread that happens throughout all music no matter what the genre. And I look at humanity in the same way. There's this thread that connects us all, regardless of our ethnic backgrounds. And so, um, so in terms of, you know, how I see discrimination and how I, I look at racism and um and see people uh kind of being left out or or impacted in a in a way that does not honor the thread of our humanness um you know my heart breaks my heart breaks when I see people not being honored. And this is why I stand for dignity and compassion for all of humanity. And, um, and so that's, that's what the way that connects to my music directly. Um, and it hasn't always been this way. I've, I've gone through 
quite a journey musically, right? So I've done everything from jazz to classical to bhangra music to uh, reggaeton, uh, hip hop to like a lot of different genres of music to country music. I was spent some time in Nashville working with some country artists. So because I'm able to, to, to speak multiple languages, but recognize that it's a language, right? That there's like one language, but they're like different dialects or something like that. Uh, so, yeah, and and so I've, I've done I've done music that um, that was misogynistic, that was patriarchal, that um, that was racist that was uh, uh, sexist, that was ageist, that was uh, all of that, right? Throughout my musical journey, as I explored all different kinds of genres and styles and getting deep, because it's kind of like when I go into a genre, uh, I go into the genre like a character actor, right? And so I learned some things about that. So I was taking some of my, my acting training into the music world, right, as a music producer. And so when I was studying hip hop, and this is why I, this is, you know, you kind of have to experience some things in order to come to some realization sometimes, right? Um, I try and spare people some realizations that I've made, but when I, um, I was in Boston and there were these hip hop artists that had hired me to work on their hip hop project. And they were, they were parts of, of gangs. And, um, and I was working with this organization called Gang Peace. And so Gang Peace you know, was all about kind of helping gang members in the Boston area um, to, you know, in some of the violence and like they, they had a really great mission and they brought me into to um, to kind of entice people with the studio and and music right so I was producing whatever it is that they cared about right so we were creating all kinds of different songs you know from like that because it was about them using music to express and get off of their chest whatever it is that they needed to get off, right? So I'll never forget, I was in the recording studio and um, this one group I was working with, it's like, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's kind of not it. I'm like, what? What do you mean it's kind of not it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. That's, yeah, it's not, it doesn't have, it's, you know, something like Dr. Dre or like, it's just kind of not it, right? So, so I, I was just like, oh man, I can't let that happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna go do some homework. So, so, so I said, okay, okay, you know, well, we'll you know, let's let's call the session. And I'll I'll, we'll, I'll come back. So I said, okay, let me really study hip hop. So I started listening to gangster rap. I started like really getting deep in the weeds and because I've been, 
you know, I've trained and so in, in so many different aspects of music, I know how to listen to music differently than other people do. Right. So I'm like listening to like, what chords are they using in the music? What sounds, how the tempo I'm looking at all these different dimensions that aren't obvious to a, a normal listener. Right. And so I'm getting into it. I'm not listening to anything else. Character acting. You become that thing. Right. So I'm like listening to all this gangster rap. I'm like, OK. And all of a sudden. I, you know, as I was going throughout my days, my thoughts were different. Than usual. The way I start looking at things, I noticed that, wow, I'm, I'm looking at that very, you know, negatively, right? I'm looking at women negatively. I'm looking, you, right? And so, so I recognized that there was like this, this uh, like the narratives. And I was like, oh, well, that's fast. I was, you know, I was aware of myself, right? So I'm like looking at myself saying, what is going on here? <laughs> What is going, hold on a second, what's going on here? And so I recognize that inside of music, that the narratives, the mood, the all these things can actually impact people emotionally and impact thoughts and thinking because it did it to me. And I'm sensitive enough to understand what's happening sensitive enough to see how it's impacting me emotionally and spiritually and intellectually and, and all of that and language and how the language impact and, and impacted me, right? And so so what I did was I said, okay, so I went into this, the next recording studio with these rappers and I said, okay, I started making the beat with all that I had learned. And so I'm doing a beat and then I start adding the chords and all of this. And I'm, I'm like bringing, I'm bringing that energy into it. And they're like, that's it. That's it. That's it right there. Ooh, oh man, that's amazing. That's, oh, oh, what? Oh, and they're like high-fiving each other. Like, oh man, we're gonna, this is gonna be incredible, right? And I, and, and I was like, got it. Wow. I got it. And so what I ended up doing, because I'm sensitive in this way, after that session, I said, all right, I'm gonna stop listening to hip hop. <laughs> and, I'm, and I started listening to country and, uh, and gospel music and things that were, you know, not that, right? Kind of to, to like change my everything. And so uh, bring myself back. So my, I was like, okay, I got that role. I know how to get into that role whenever I need to get into that role. And now I'm back to me. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so, so I don't know how we got into that, but <laughs> I, I don't share that story very often. So, so uh, whatever you said, just evoke that. Well, I love that story. I mean, like that's that, that sense of like, like, the fact that it like it, it changed how you thought like that that's exactly what I'm meant when I'm like, like when I would watch things when I was when I was little and and I would and I would it would change how I like oh, okay like when it comes to it's kind of heavy uh like 
death, for example. It's a thing that a lot of us have trouble dealing with. You know, particularly when I was when I was when I was five, I asked my mom. She, she's she's been given some <laughs> some difficult situations for me at times. When I was five, I asked her. I was like, Mom, what happens? What happens if we die and it's just black forever? And she kind of went. Oh, so we're gonna go to McDonald's. Like she, like she didn't really know how to answer that question. Um, but like, just even recently, I've been watching like this show called The Good Place, right? And it has to do a lot to do with afterlife and death and whatnot. And I found that e e after watching it, I just was, I, w I would sit and I would think and I would write just about the idea of there being an afterlife. And I found that the way that I, th like, how I, my comfortability with my own mortality before and after watching the show had changed. Um, and so, like, I mean, it, it was sort of, it, it wasn't in the, I've had that less with music, and I'd love to discover that with music, but I, like, I just, that reminded me of that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's, there's one thing I want to say. So my, my work, um, and what, because I understand how powerful music is to do those things, to shape narratives, to to uh, seed ideas, to become the soundtrack for everything from movements to, you know, if you're in a, in a depressed place, music can change and alter that state. If you're, um, you know, wanting to, to like get some anger out, like there's music that will allow that to, to get expressed, right? So that so there's there are these uh, dimensions that are available. And so me as a, a master music producer, I've been able to um, to take that knowledge and 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 look at the creation of you know music that actually does the things that are uplifting. Right. And and so I'm always looking from the lens of now, especially now, um, with the aims that I have inside of the music industry, I'm looking at what is this going to do to someone's thinking, to their emotions? And how can I be responsible for that when I'm with this artist? How can I bring forth, oh, well, you know, everything, I, I hear that lyric and it, it's really reinforcing the position that women are being subjugated to. Is that what you mean to do inside of that lyric? See, the thing I like about um, what you said when you were talking about your story, um, you're recognizing that entertainment, you know, has the ability, uh, has some special powers, right? And story has special abilities to take someone from one state to another, right? You were pointing to that when you were speaking earlier. And so I just wanna put a, a highlight under that. And so, so there, there are roles, right? For an actor that can do that. 
And then as a writer, there are um, conversations that can be created. There are roles that can be created. There are worldviews that can be created. There are aspects that can be brought forth that articulate your perspective, your unique perspective from your background and heritage and all of that. There are some narratives in your heritage, just as there are narratives you know, from my ethnic background that are not representative of an entire community. So the job of an artist is to, well, one of the jobs of the artist, maybe like, you know, if there's like a, you know, a job description, right? One of those items of the most successful artists inside of that job description is to give a perspective, to give an opinion a world view from an artist, from that artist's view of the world. And those artists that are able to communicate and articulate that voice that is them from their worldview, from their perspective in the most powerful ways are the ones that are able to get inside the hearts, minds, and spirits of an audience and live there like a seed and shift culture. You know, that's so beautiful. I love that because the quote that I wrote about in my book, um, <clears throat> that I got from the Shoemaker Briefings, which is a global ecology college out of England. It says, art leads science by 10 years. Science leads business by 10 years. Business leads education by 10 years. So if it's a linear world, which it's not, but let's just say it's the way we've been acting in our humanity, linear. Art is 30 years ahead of where education is because it's put in a domain that's separate, like extracurricular, we'll do that when we have time. It's like, well, what do you wanna to go to school to become an actor for, you know, or a musician? There's no money in it. You, only a few people make it. It's like, that's a big misunderstanding about the role. And when I first met you, Marcus, I realized I wanna be with the creators. I wanna be and, and help witness each of us becoming the creator. So I throw that back to you, Samuel. It's like you are a creator and a writer and you have a personal purpose and a passion about a message that you want to bring forward. And there's something about genres that have only, that have been excluded. It only been for white people. <laughs> you know, you have a, you have a draw that's coming from the inside of you that's caused you to go, well, wait a second, I'm going to give this a try. So based on what you've heard uh, Marcus say, do you have a, any additional comment or a question that you'd like to build on related to this, who you are becoming conversation with your own perspective, your own worldview, and what your artistic expression has to do with it? Absolutely. Um, I, I, let me say first, like the, the, I mean, it's clear that, that 
you, Marcus, have this, like even when you speak, you have you have this way of reaching out to, to other people. Um, and I, I think that it's hard to, it's hard to do that in your art, and I think it's even harder to do that when you're just talking to someone sometimes, you know, because we have all these ideas about like what we should be and what we, you know, we should be this, we should be that. And so I, I want to ask about when, when you were, you know, on your journey when you, you were an adolescent, you know, what kinds of, you know, oh, I should be doing, I should be doing this, or I should be better at this, or like what kinds of thoughts, when, when did those sorts of thoughts, you know, happen for you and, and how did you combat them? Mm. So there's a gap. So in starting any endeavor, right? So whether that is starting a business, whether that's picking up an instrument, whether that's like whatever it is, that when you start, as soon as you start, you very quickly see that there's a large gap. If, if, it's a, if it's a thing, right? So certain things like, all right, the gap may be a little smaller, like playing checkers or something like, okay, I just started playing checkers and, you know, like what are the rules, right? I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about um, something that, um, you know, other kinds of endeavors, right? So, all right, start a record label, start a business. So it's not about necessarily a record label. It's about starting a business. The product just happens to be music. Well, a cultural product, right? Or what you would hope to be a cultural product <laughs> or artistic expression, but it's a business, right? And then so there's the gap between creating something and then getting that to the public and then having that known so that the kind of public that you want to like, like there's something to traverse there. And so, and inside of that, getting in a the gap, there's like falling down, there's failure, there's like trying to figure things out. Like, oh, I, I you know, I'm thinking the wrong thing. I'm asking the wrong, the wrong questions, like, like all of that. And so, um, so where my mind goes uh, to is this. When I started acquiring this capacity to play uh, different instruments, I remember I wanted this keyboard. And this was an expensive keyboard, right? But I saw this was a, like a keyboard that like some famous pr music producers and musicians were using. I was like, I want to have that keyboard, right? Can I get that keyboard, right? So there's this want, right? I want that thing. Now there's a there's a distance between me wanting it and me having it, right? That distance is convincing somebody to contribute money to get that, right? Or asking my mom to get it or my dad or whoever getting some, getting that, that's the, the thing. One, like, okay, and where is that? Where can you get that, right? How much does it cost? Like the world of that, 
right? So there's that, there now we have a gap. I want the keyboard and then trying to get the keyboard. So I never forget something that my mother told me. And she, she said, son, you can have the things that you want. It may not happen right now, but if you are doing certain activity, at some point you'll be able to have that. Right? The gap. The gap. Really powerful. The gap. And inside of that gap, so for me, it was, oh, wow, I got this money coming from something that I did, but that, so there's a little something, and then there's the cost of the keyboard. Can we fill that gap in with some resources, right? And I ended up getting that keyboard, right? Not right when I wanted it, there was like a gap that needed to be filled in that was a resource gap. And then, and then when I got it, Therein lies another gap. How do you use this keyboard? So now I have to acquire that skill. So it's like, oh, oh my goodness, okay, oh, and that sounds horrible, right? And oh my God, like, okay, so hold, okay, so you stick it in here and you do that. And so, you know, so there is messy. And so it's being comfortable with the messiness that life sometimes is, because sometimes it's messy. It's not gonna go exactly the way you want. It's not gonna look the way you always thought it was. I remember when I first got my first hit song, like it, when I, when the, when I found out it was a hit, it was two years after I had done it. I got a call, I'm just like, what song are you talking about? Oh yeah, it's number one and da da. I'm like, God, I've been working for a long time to get a number one song. That's it? <laughs> Right? That's, it was so anticlimactic. It was so anticlimactic because it's the gap that life gets lived in. That's beautiful. And it's not linear. See, that's the beautiful thing that you just said. It's like those seeds had been planted all along and it showed up two years later. But the energy of who you were becoming was so present the whole time that you were looking for it in other places, right? So I, I saw... Um, I saw you light up. What did you hear in what I said? You, you said it's in that gap that life gets lived. That really connected with me because some people think, well, I mean, not just some people, me when I was younger, <laughs> um, like that they have to, they're so afraid of, of being bad when they start that they just don't, you know, and it's, and it's, they're like, oh, no, I have to do all this before I start doing this because then I won't be good at it when I start. It's like, well, we're never good at things when we start. And so the idea of the, the gap that life gets lived in, it's like there's, you know, you do all these little things to get better. And, you know, you, you embrace the messiness. And along the way, you just live. And I really like that. <laughs> I really like that because I think that that is that lets people be, you know, their art and their work is a facet of them, right? But then they get to live too. 
And I, I really, that's a really comforting idea for me. Well, that's beautiful. I just want to thank my guests today, Marcus Bellringer Bell and Samuel Osborne Huerta. Um, what an amazing conversation. It's been jam packed with wisdom. And I wonder what you're each taking away from this conversation. How has it maybe affirmed or enlightened or empowered you? I think I'll start with you, Marcus. Something happened today that makes it different. What did you notice for yourself? Well, I love these kinds of conversations because uh, it allows for new things to be said, right? So conversations for me allows um, articulation of ideas and communication and exchange of ideas to happen. And so, um, yeah, I, when I look at my life, my days are filled with these kinds of conversations, right? And your, um, your questions, what you're seeing, I'm, 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 I, I've noticed things about what you have articulated some things that you've arrived at already. And, you know, the, I don't see age. I don't see race. I don't see sexuality or gender. Um, and, I see the human being with enormous possibilities inside. And this is how I interact with people. And, um, and when we interact with people in that way that everyone has something to contribute to us, then it allows for what I would say miracles to happen. And it doesn't matter what the, you know, what your social economic position is, um, you know, where you are in life like that. I've gotten enormous insight from people that I know that are homeless. I've gotten enormous insight from a drug addict, enormous insight from a six-year-old. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so for me, I'm 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 just present to uh, that Samuel, you, as far as I can see, with the types of questions that you are asking, um, the fact that you love uh, writing and reading, you read a lot, don't you? See, that never stops. That never stops. And so, um, so yeah, I'll, I'll read like four books a, a week. <laughs> right? I read a book this morning called Anti-Racist, like how to be anti-racist. Very good book, very good book. I highly recommend it to 
to you know the listening audience how to be an anti-racist fabulous so um so yeah so i'm i'm just uh i'm, I'm present uh, and thank you renee for for uh creating the the space and environment for these kinds of conversations to have uh it is a contribution thank you well thank you that was brilliant samuel how are you feeling about that feedback and what are some things that you're taking away from this conversation today I, uh, first of all, I, I loved the, the feedback, just the, the idea that you, um, you know, you can learn things from anybody. And, I, and I've held the belief for a long time that you only, it, it's the, the most detrimental thing to anyone's being is when they stop believing they have things to learn from other people, regardless of who they might be. You know, I've met people who are like, oh, community theater is not real theater. And it's like, have you talked to anybody who does it? <laughs> they, they, it's, it it's, it's real and you know you can learn things from them no matter from anybody no matter what station you perceive yourself to be at um, and so that re I really connected with that and I just have enjoyed the opportunity to hear your stories um, I mean because you're someone you I mean you've accomplished so much <laughs> you've accomplished so much and you you but but you you do it from a perspective of of connection to people and, and I I get the sense that you really care about other people you know like not even even if they're like no matter what their relation is their relationship to you is you care about them and I think that's something that I don't know I don't, I don't ever want to lose sight of that um, and I think that I think that that is one of the biggest things that I've taken away from this is just that like that that's something you have to hold on to is just connect and connection and love for other people. Fantastic. Well, I'd like to share that there are so many words of wisdom here that I captured and I'm for the listener. Um, how about this idea that life is in the gap, that we live from that space. And it's like, you don't have to have it all figured out in advance <laughs> to move forward in your co-creation of your narrative. I love also the message that um, that thoughts and music, I think what I took away is that I wanna really start looking at my playlist. <laughs> what music am I listening to and how does it really impact how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking, what am I emoting? Because it's easy in this world today to uh, get disconnected from the higher vibration of what art and music can bring us. And I love that story that you shared, Marcus, about entering the world of the rappers and then, you know, realizing that you've got to meet people where they are, if, especially if you're a consultant to a group, you meet them, you help deliver, but then you got to get back to you and who are you and we are becoming. And I just, it furthers my whole passion, Samuel, when I listen to you and the journey that you have as an entrepreneur and as an artist and as a writer that at 19, you have such a clear understanding of who you are becoming and how you wanna own your ancestry, your heritage in the co-creation of the new narrative and to be a change maker. That's who you are becoming. And you couldn't have spoken to a better person than Marcus um, Bell, uh, Marcus Bellringer Bell today. And I wanna thank both of you um, for being here. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in today. I don't know about you, but I'm leaving inspired and looking forward to the next conversation. Before we leave, 
Marcus Bellringer Bell. Where can people go to find out more information about you and what you're up to in the world? Yeah, so I have a 100 Days Impact Challenge, which is uh, if you go to 100 Days with a Z, 2021. If you listen to this and it's 2022, go to 100 Days with a Z, 2022. If it's, you know, the year 2025, go to 100 Days with a Z, 2025, wherever you are in time, you can go there and connect with me there. Absolutely. And I would like to say that I totally believe a lot can happen in 100 days, especially when you're with a change maker, social activist, entrepreneur, um, social branding expert like Marcus um, Bellringer Bell. Thank you both for being here today. And we'll listen for the next conversation and hope maybe we'll have you back again. Look forward to it. Anytime. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and will join us for the next Bridging the Potential podcast. If you're interested in what we're doing here at Living the Potential Network, please visit our website at www.livingthepotential.com and check out the first two chapters of Renee Beth's book, Living the Potential, Engaging the Wisdom of Our Youth to Save the World. Till next time.